Good morning, my DMV commuters. Rise and shine. You are listening to The Chris Dugay Show. A little uh, workout for you this morning. A little workout. It's the fucking right time. It's the fucking game show Waiting for the right time to sing. Waiting for the right time to push the fucking game show time. Giving you all the gossip surrounding DMV nightlife. Authors and books that you may or may not have heard of. TV shows to stream and watch. The future of information technology and government contracting. And lastly, silly stories about my life. Coming to you live from Arlington, Virginia. Smack dab in the middle of the courthouse. And Roslyn Metro Stations. I am Chris Dugay. And you are listening to The Chris Dugay Show. Hello and welcome back to episode three. We are finally a trilogy. Finally a trilogy. Finally a trilogy podcast now. Um, so on to my first talking point uh, segment of the day. Um, for those of you just tuning in, um, if you haven't, aren't listening to these episodes uh, chronologically, or maybe you're just not familiar with what the uh, Chris Dugay show is about. Hell, sometimes I don't even know what the Chris Dugay show is. Uh, well, I can't, seriously can't believe that lame-ass joke made it past uh, post-production. I'm seriously so ADD, it's not even funny. Okay, um, okay, um, this is what I'm trying to do. Bi-weekly, I'm committed to entertaining you, the listener. That's right, bi-weekly. I cannot do sh- this shit full-time. I, I, I've i got a big boy job. I've got to uh, actually pay bills. However, and in true millennial fashion, you are entitled, entitled to a 30-minute episode bi-weekly from yours truly. And I'll also be nursing and old-fashioned if we're off work. But let's get real. You're probably listening to this on your commute to work. So why don't we get you uh, all pepped up with a uh, another silly story about Chris Duguay's life. I, I really want to pick up where I left off about the boot camp story and uh, keep talking to you about Chief Hazi. Chief Hazi and the boot camp story can be found in episode one, but uh, I'm going to save that for another episode. We like to skip around at the uh, Chris Duguay show. We're going to Tarantino this shit. It's December 2011 and years before I would start dating Jessica Jones. I did four years in the United States Navy, Um, served honorably, I got an honorable discharge, uh, a good conduct medal as well, never had an NJP or uh, captain's mask, court martial, anything like that. I was a a really good sailor. But my service was up. It was time for me to start the next chapter of my life. As I held my signed 
and approved DD-214 in hand. I was shitting my pants with excitement. Here I was, basically Charlie from Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with a golden ticket out of here. But did I really want to get out? I mean, the whole plan was, um, you know, I, I knew I wanted to go to college, right? Um, but I had relationships in, in Everett, Washington State and in the, in the Navy. I, I didn't want to leave my, my comrades. I was also leaving someone, a girlfriend behind, and that was tough. That was tough to do. Seldom uh, do long-distance relationships ever work, but uh, props to those who can, who can, who can make it work. So, um, I don't know how y'all do it. Um, but uh, to be fair, I was young uh, when I got out. I, I guess what I'm trying to say is, I, I wish that my girlfriend at the time hadn't moved on so abruptly. Not have had a train ran on her. Hello? Hey, what's up, bro? Bro, what are you doing? Um, I'm just taking out my last uh, box of things here to, uh, to my car. Man, your stupid whore of a girlfriend, like I've been saying to you all this time. Dude, chill out, dude. Don't, don't talk about her like that, man. What, what, what's going on? The succubus that you are currently dating is currently making out with Dan. She's with Dan, dude. Oh, there she goes again. Yep, she's, this is her fourth free drink now. Yep, now she's with Nick. Old Slick Nick. With the dick. Scotty doesn't know that Fiona and me Hey, wait for me outside, Dylan. I'm, I'm on my way now. Tailgaters Bar and Grill in Everett, Washington State. A local bar where you could find every junior enlisted sailor in your command grinding on each other and sucking face. Hey, you made it. Hey, what's up, Dylan? What's up, Trey? Where is she? Don't go in there just yet. Think about what you're gonna do. Dude, where the fuck is she? She's over there next to the mechanical bull. My switch had officially been flipped. Excuse me. Excuse me. Pardon me. Excuse me. Excuse me. Uh, hey babe, what the fuck? 
Nothing to say, huh? You're speechless, eh? <laughs> what happened to everything we literally talked about last night in bed? You said you wanted me to be faithful while I was in college, and you were going to be faithful on deployment. Oh my god! I can see that you've moved on already. What's up? Is he giving you problems? Easy, you little E2 bitch boy. Now, let me interject here. Okay, for the listeners, um, first off, I, I apologize for cursing. I, I got a sailor mouth, and, and I'm really trying to actively take several steps to, uh, to get fucking better at uh, not cussing. Um, but let me break down the term bitch boy. That is fighting words. That is a switch to be flipped. And uh, for you listeners, I'm sure you're familiar with the term fuckboy. This is not the same insult. These are two different things. A fuckboy is a um, pretty much a male whore or a guy who is always cheating, um, conquesting, uh, being the typical uh, male stereotype. A bitch boy is the um, exact opposite. It's associated with weakness, being um, uh, effeminate and flamboyant, and uh, complacency is uh, is also tied in, into that as well. Basically, you would call uh, someone a bitch boy uh, for not only being uh, you know weak, but uh, you're also emphasizing that they uh, don't know how to do their job and that they need someone to hold their hand, which to an enlisted sailor is like the ultimate insult, right? Um, Enlisted sailors pride themselves on uh, being extremely knowledgeable in their uh, rate or MOS or uh, field of uh, work. So you're probably thinking to yourself, where did this term bitch boy originate from? Well, you remember the Boston Tea Party when Paul Revere was um, picking up all those boxes of tea and throwing them overboard? One of his comrades, who will remain nameless for the respect for the dead here, wasn't pulling his weight. Paul Revere was like, dude, stop being a bitch boy and help me dump this tea. The insult would uh, remain inactive for the better part of the 19th century and wouldn't resurface again to the 20th century in the 1999 film, She's All That, and uttered by a different Paul. Because your legacy is in jeopardy here. I mean, one second, you're Zach Seiler, class president, standout athlete, all around badass Mamba Jahamba. The next thing you know, you're Zach Seiler, bitch boy. Ah, uh, Paul Walker. May he rest in peace. And for those of you questioning the historical accuracy of the Boston Tea Party, I have one thing to say to you. Bitch, were you even there? No, you weren't. So suck it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I, I should not have said that. I'm just a little, just a little sad and, and irritated because I'm spending Valentine's Day alone because uh, Jess is uh, in Florida uh, right now visiting her, her parents and I'm um, spending Valentine's Day alone like a little bitch boy. I'm so sad. But uh, sorry to uh, derail the story here. Um, where were we? Oh, that's right. Um, I'm about to get my ass kicked. What's up, bro? You want some? You want some of this? I just took some no explode! <laughs> Jesus, Chris. Work the body, for God's sake, man.
I wish I could sit here and tell you that I did like a crouching tiger, hidden dragon, flying crane kick and just whooped Nick's ass. But I didn't. And then all of a sudden, Dan, his homie who Eiffel Towered, my girlfriend with Nick, uh, decided to jump in and get a few licks in on me too. Yeah, that's me starting to puke up a little blood. But hey, I deserved it. I incited the whole fight. I was looking for trouble. But thankfully, I had a good friend like my boy Dylan, who, if you remember from episode one, knows how to fight. Alright, Chris Duguay Show listeners, uh, back to uh, back to game show time. We're going to interrupt this segment here. And uh, if you listen to episode two, the answer to what type of fish is a red snapper, and the answer is, it is a saltwater fish. The red snapper, uh, the authentic red snapper, is found only in the Atlantic Ocean near Mexico and uh, apparently is the the king of fish uh, with a sought-after texture and flavor. This, of course, is uh, according to the Google search uh, that I just did. And uh, the person to get this correct, ladies and gentlemen, was uh, an also uh, Navy comrade of mine. Uh, He DM'd me after listening to episode two. Got the answer correct. His name is Eugene Bouchard. And you can find him on Instagram. As promised, I will promote uh, um, his uh, Instagram page for getting it right. You can follow him at uh, Eugene B. That's uh, Y as in Yankee, O as in Oscar, U as in uniform, J as in Juliet, E as in Echo, E as in Echo, N as in November, and B as in Bravo. All lowercase, guys. And uh, Eugene is a big fan of NBA basketball, uh, working out, uh, playing uh, 2K, um, 17, and uh, also he is super into uh, Lumpia, as he is uh, uh, Filipino, and he is also a very huge fan of the duck face, as you can tell by his multiple selfies on his page. And he is also a key player in the multi-level marketing scheme, Advocare. So check him out, guys. Hey, man, the cops are here. Oh, shit, that's right. I'm in the middle of telling y'all a story. Hey, hey get, Chris, go. Leave. I'll see you in Virginia. Come on, start for daddy. Come on, baby. Come on, start for daddy. Start for daddy. Come on, come on. Shit, the Everett PD is looking over here. Come on, come on, start, start, start. 
piece of shit, let's go. Ah, yes, success. And just like that, I left. Not really saying goodbye to anybody. So, Trey, Dan, Nick, Dylan, and my ex-girlfriend were all getting ready to go to deployment. Um, they were about to do a world cruise that would take them roughly nine months to a year to complete. Um, and they would they would sail all the way to the Middle East, and then after their deployment was over, they would land in Norfolk, Virginia. And uh, me, I'm, I'm out of the military now, and I'm driving cross-country, you know, from Washington State all the way to Northern Virginia, which is uh, where my home is. And, and there's several, you know, stories um, on that long, long road trip that I, I'll save for, for future episodes of the Chris Duguay Show. I'm not going to tell you all those right now, but um, I, I guess the moral of the story here is, is two things, right? Don't go looking for trouble. If you go looking for trouble, trouble will find you very quickly. And uh, I guess the second moral here is don't, don't betray the people that you love or care about or even have a decent relationship with just don't do it man it's not worth it you know I, I definitely need to walk the walk in in that regard um karma's a bitch man it, it, what goes around comes around and <laughs> uh, i can't think of any more cliches to uh to tell you here but this valentine's day and, and heading into valentine's day weekend love one love one another Reach out and, you know, talk to that person you haven't spoken to in a long time and reassure them that they're loved, whether it's a family member you haven't talked to in a long time or maybe a, a colleague who's not having a great time at work. Reach out, man. Spread a little love this uh, Valentine's Day weekend. And that's it. I'll, I'll get off my soapbox. Um, yeah, okay, so... I guess next talking point here, it's December 2011, and we're heading into 2012. And uh, y'all know what else happened in uh, 2012? And no, I'm not talking about the United States gearing up for another presidential election or the widely believed Nostradamus prediction of the end of the world. That's right. Ghost burglar is finally published. Ladies and gentlemen, my next talking point. Authors and books you haven't heard of. Hello? Hey, Mr. King, this is uh, Christy Gay. How you doing? Oh, pretty good. Awesome. Oh, man, it's so good to hear your voice. I'm like, I'm, I'm so excited. I, I thought this would never happen. I'm, I'm really excited. Uh, sorry, yeah, I'm sorry about last time. Oh no 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 sweat! I, I, are you are you are you doing okay? I mean, you, you don't have to have yeah, to talk yeah, about it. Fine. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Cool, no, man. No, um, uh, it was something I thought was more serious, but it ended up just being some pneumonia, and um, got on some uh, antibiotics and cured it in a couple in a, uh, a week or two. 
Nice. Yeah, I know, I know a bunch of stuff's going around, too, especially at the, the office. Well, hey, will you um, will you give me a second? I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pour myself a, a hot toddy here. I'm. Um. Getting my uh, Charles Bukowski on. Forgive me. This is turning into more of a tall boy. Let's get started. Ladies and gentlemen, uh, without further ado, the much anticipated interview uh, with uh, Mr. King, the author of Ghost Burglar. Mr. King, how are you? I'm doing well. Thank you. Excellent. Thank you. Thank you so much uh, for, for taking the time to, uh, to speak with me. Um, this evening, I'm, I'm I'm a huge fan, and uh, just to just to kind of get things rolling, Mr. King, who who is Bernard C. Welch for the listeners? Well, Bernard Welch was probably and definitely, actually, the most prolific or successful uh, residential burglar in American history. Uh, his specialty was stealing art and antiques, and old dolls and collectibles, fur coats. Oriental rugs, silver, and gold. Um, it was estimated that in the course of his five-year crime spree in the Washington metropolitan area, which included Maryland and Virginia, that he stole an, an estimated 50 to $100 million in loot. Jesus. And that's by police departments and insurance companies, that estimate. Now remember, back in the 1970s, silver was selling for 40 to $50 an ounce melted down. Uh, and gold was selling for about $400 an ounce. So a home silver service, and I'll say a well-to-do home, would be valued at somewhere in several thousands of dollars, and the jewelry uh, for a few thousand dollars more. And knowing that Welsh was hitting houses four to five to six a night in good neighborhoods, and he did this five to six days a week, he often would bring home well over $100,000 uh, in a week in, that, that was essentially tax-free. And on Sundays, he would melt down the silver and the gold into ingots and then mail it out on Monday morning to refineries around the country. So all that being said, when he was arrested, uh, he, possessed, he possessed a large house over in Great Falls, Virginia, maybe a million-dollar house in today's money. Uh, and uh, the house had an indoor swimming pool uh, that was being built, added onto the side. It had a basement rec room with a sauna and arcade games. Jesus. It had uh, a three-car garage with two Mercedes and a brand-new station wagon, all paid for with cash, and a tennis court. He also had a $250,000 Payne Weber account, stock portfolio, stock portfolio account. Um, and he also had a summer home in Duluth, Minnesota, because he didn't work. He only worked here in the Washington area during the hours of standard time. 
and when it became daylight savings time and people were and it was light uh, for a longer period of time, he went to Minnesota in uh, for summer, and he had a house there with an indoor pool and a two-car garage. And uh, his common, he also had a common-law wife with three children by her, and a live-in nanny who was his mistress and a child by her also. Uh, he was, most people don't know, but he was a serial rapist and a murderer. And uh, we know he committed a, at least 12 rapes during his burglaries. We also know he committed the murder of Dr. Michael Halberstamp, for which he was convicted. And we also believe he committed a murder in Virginia during his burglary, burglary period, but can't prove it. And there may have been other rapes and murders that we don't know anything about. So Welch escaped from, in 1975, from Dannemore Prison in upstate New York. And it was a prison that no one had ever escaped from successfully because it's in the middle of this gigantic thousands of acres um, state park. But Welsh had been a hunter in his younger years and hunted in that park and knew it well. So he got away. And uh, he made it down to Richmond and then from Richmond came to Washington. And uh, after conviction for the murder of Dr. Uh, Halberstam, he was sent to an escape-proof prison in uh, Marion, Illinois. And it took him two years to hatch a plan and he escaped again from the escape-proof prison. And he was free for several months and uh, went back to his old trade of burglary in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania before he was finally caught a second time. And um, that's pretty much who Walsh was. What an, God, what an absolute madman. I, I, oh my God. What a, a complete piece of trash. When was your first interaction with Welch, kind of the first time you saw him face to face? And I know those, okay. those are two kind of... on uh, yeah. December 6, 1980. So, so the first... Um, I'm sorry, I, I didn't mean to talk over you. So you said the first time you, you saw him was December 1980? Uh, yes, that's my first interaction with him. Okay, gotcha, gotcha. Okay. And uh, that was... Um, the morning after he was arrested in uh, Washington, D.C. And uh, I was working in Montgomery County Police uh, Detective Bureau at the time in Rockville, Maryland. And I received a call from a D.C. detective who I knew. And he was part of the task force that we had set up for well over a year to track down this burglar who was just terrorizing Washington. And um, he told me that he thought my boy, as he said, uh, had been arrested for burglary and murder in D.C. the night before. And the suspect had refused to give his name, and this detective wanted me to come down to identify him. <clears throat> well, uh, he told me further that Dr. Halberstam and his wife had returned home from the movies to find an armed man uh, with a gun inside their home uh, burglarizing it. And uh, the course of burglary then forced him to lie down and he ran out the door and Dr. Halberstam chased after him. And they got into a um, fight outside the house in Northwest Washington. And uh, um, Bernard Welsh had a five shot pistol that he had stolen from an FBI agent. And um, he 
fired at the doctor and shot him in the chest twice and then ran away. Um, believe it or not, the doctor uh, jumped in the car and his, uh, and his wife got in beside him and he drove himself towards Sibley Hospital, which was close by. And in the process of driving through the neighborhoods, he saw his assailant running across some lawns uh, in front of houses in the neighborhood. And Halberstam, without even hesitating, drove up on the lawn, hit Bernard Welsh uh, in the back with his car, and then just continued on without stopping, because he knew he had been shot. And he right. was a uh, heart doctor and a surgeon. So he drove on down MacArthur Boulevard, passed out due to loss of blood, crashed into his tree, into a tree near the hospital. Uh, Dr. Walsh's wife got out, waved some cars down, got her husband to the emergency room at Sibley, and uh, he died on the operating table of blood loss. Um, so anyway, when... Of course, the D.C. detective told me all this. I jumped in my cruiser and drove down to D.C. police headquarters, breaking many, many uh, speed records. And um, uh, so he called me because I had Welsh's pictures and his fingerprints. Gotcha. From my research, I had identified him the year before as the perpetrator of the crime, of the many crimes in Washington and uh, Maryland and Virginia, but I didn't know where he was, what name he was living under, or anything about him. I just knew who he was. Um, we yeah. waited for um, the police paddy wagon to bring Welsh, who had been taken to a hospital uh, for being hit by the car, but he was being returned by the, in a police paddy wagon and we waited on the loading dock when the paddy wagon pulled up. Welsh was laying on the floor in the back in a uh, hospital gown. And he was pretty uh, bearded and disheveled by that point in time. But I knew it was him. I recognized him immediately and um, uh, helped um, get him into the uh, processing room because he couldn't walk. They had to bring a, a secretarial chair with wheels on it make him sit in it and roll him into be fingerprinted and photographed and given a, a prison uh, jumpsuit and um, he still hadn't given his proper name and um, so I, I, was, I stayed there while he was being processed mm -hmm. and when he wouldn't give his name I piped up to the uh, police clerk his name is Bernard C. Welsh and Welsh looked at me gave me a really dirty look <laughs> and, but didn't say anything. And uh, the only other time I ever actually saw him in person was at a police lineup uh, about a month later, and then uh, once in court in uh, Rockville, Maryland, when he was being con uh, tried for rape in Maryland. So that was about it as far as seeing him in person. Gotcha, gotcha. So let's let's, let's talk a little bit about Dr. Halberstam. Um, mm -hmm. can, can you can you give the listeners kind of a little, little insight of, of who he was? I know he was a beloved cardiologist. Um, can can yes. you speak a little bit about about uh, the doctor? Well, he, he had done some um, as a young man had done some work um, uh, with um, I believe Native Americans up in Alaska. Okay, uh, 
volunteer work. He was the kind of guy that would drive around. He was very athletic, played a lot of basketball, and he would carry extra basketball nets in his car. And if he saw a playground with no net, he would pull one out of his car, take a little ladder, climb up, and string a new net on the um, the bare frame so that the kids could hear the swoosh of the basketball as it went in. Wow. And that's it. He was also an author. He would wrote a lot of articles, some of which were uh, uh, detective stories, but uh, he was a really... I, I wish I'd met him in life, real life, but he was a really um, interesting guy, fun to be around, conversation. All these patients loved him, and I don't know, he was just one of the last people you wanted to see die early. Wow, that's God! I I, I can't I cannot believe this uh, this story. This is this is insane. Um, kind of just uh, switching sides here to uh, to. Back to um, Welch, what, what what do you think made him him tick? Do you think he committed all these burglaries b- because he grew up poor? Was it a socioeconomic status thing? What what do you think? He was. I think he was. He was one of these people that he was a sociopath. Uh, right and wrong had no meaning to him, mm-hmm. and. Um, even as a child, he was a, a shoplifter, uh, stealing candy. Always had bad teeth, right? And uh, ended up with full dentures, and that's another story. And um, uh, I think from the time he was young, he was just inclined to be a criminal. He thought he was smarter than everybody else. And uh, um, now, unfortunately, he he refused to be. Uh, um, examined by a, a prison psychologist so we'll never know for sure but I think everybody pretty much agrees that he was a sociopath he was a user of people for his own benefit without remorse uh, for the damage or injuries he caused he could care less it was all, it was all about him and no one else wow and then uh, just kind of sw- switching uh to you here, uh, Mr. King, how, how long have you been in, in law enforcement? When, when did you get started? Um, can, can you kind of walk me through your your um, career timeline here? Well, yeah, sure. Um, I got out of the Navy at age 21. Who, yeah. And, and realized that my father was right. I needed a college degree. So I put myself through... Uh, um, Montgomery College and Maryland University driving a, a taxi cab. Um, you could do it in those days. The, the bills weren't that high. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I, I became interested in uh, criminology and I majored in that and uh, ended up working at uh, a prison, Lorton Reformatory in Virginia, part of the D.C. jail system. I worked there for three months and that was long enough to let me know that I didn't want to work in a prison for the rest of my life. Um, So I came out and uh, joined the police department because at least on the police department you get to help people. I'm not dealing with criminals, I'm dealing with people who need help. Right. And that's what I did for 20 years. And um, then after that I was uh, 
a private investigator for a law group for a while and uh, even did a court bailiff uh, duty for a while and um, uh, finally got a job with Montgomery County Schools working in school security and I did that for 20 years, you know, uh, taking care of kids in schools and uh, teachers and doing what I could do to make the world a better place as, as much as a, one person can, which is, you know, not really a whole lot. I, th- I think that's a- absolutely fantastic and, and, and very admirable. Um, just kind of just kind of spitballing here to uh, go, get going off the uh, not not going um, straight down the outline, but um, what's what's kind of one thing that you wish that our that young listeners who who are listening to this podcast right now what's what's one thing that you wish they would they would know about police officers? Well, police officers are like anybody else. If a kid if he's like he's like your dad or your granddad or your uncle or the guy next door, they're just normal people. They're out there doing a job, doing it the best they can making split-second decisions every day, trying to do the best job possible given what they have to work with. Now, obviously some people are better at it than others, and um, but that's no one's fault. I mean, if you're out there in uniform doing your job, trying to, mm, I don't know, guard the world, I don't know mm-hmm. what to say, but yeah. you know, trying to be a good cop that's what we all should do and uh, uh, respect them for, for the job that they do I completely concur and uh, agree with you wholeheartedly um, for all the men and women uh, in uniform uh, out there listening to the uh, Chris Dugay show uh, you'll, y'all have uh, our up, uh, utmost respect and uh, we love you so much Uh, Thank you for protecting us and uh, making the world a a better place. And uh, and then uh, for the listeners here who haven't read Ghost Burglar or aren't familiar with the uh, this uh, this true story, um, can you inform the listeners about what took place on November tenth, nineteen eighty? On November tenth, nineteen eighty. Uh, there were several houses in a neighborhood broken into, one of which was, belonged to an FBI agent. And taken in that burglary was a five-shot Colt 38 caliber snub-nosed revolver, as well as the FBI's uh, agent's uh, badge and handcuffs. Um, this was the same weapon that was used to kill Dr. Halberstam uh, almost a month later. Uh, it was, a five, as I said, a five-shot 38 and uh, that which was unfortunate. And then, uh, Mr. King, what, what do you think sets Welch apart from any other serial killer or, or high-profile criminal? Um, several things, actually. Uh, he did not drink, or smoke, or do drugs. Really? He was just about fearless and took well-calculated risks. In other words, he wouldn't do anything that was really stupid. Uh, He had studied the market, as it were, and was knowledgeable about what was worth stealing and what wasn't. Uh, 
He wouldn't take plated silver, for instance, only only uh, sterling. Um, he worked alone, and he was very secretive. He never told anybody, uh, not even his wife, what he was doing. Um, thefts as an occupation, it's like a business. He stole only from the richest neighborhoods, and he sold all of his loot in places so far away that the police checks would never turn up the goods as being hot. He never took anything with a serial number. Uh, you could only give a description. Um, so there was no way to really identify it. And finally, he assumed the identity of a real person and the look of an honest man, and he drove a Mercedes, and he dressed like he should be driving a Mercedes, and he belonged in the areas that he was victimizing. In essence, he was hiding in plain sight. Very clever, unlike almost any other burglar I ever met. Wow. Um, so th so th all this happened in, in the 1980s. Um, if social media and, and the Internet were available at the time, do you think this case would have been handled quicker? Do you think it would have been easier? Um, actually, uh, let's, let's turn that question around. Okay. I think Welsh could not operate today as he did some 40 years ago. Um, back then, computers were rare. The internet had not been invented, and even home alarm systems were, were unusual. In general, home burglary was not a concern for most people in the suburbs. Uh, crime was not, not really rampant. Um, most of the crime was uh, local. Uh, often done by neighborhood kids and easy, you know, easy to uh, discover uh, who did it. Um, and also, criminals in those days tended to stay in the areas they were familiar with, mm -hmm. and the cops knew all the bad actors. And uh, there was uh, minimal cross-jurisdiction information sharing by the police departments in those days. <clears throat> I mean, there were some, but it wasn't a lot. Now, Today, with the internet, it's different. Uh, we're all connected. Uh, in fact, I belong to two neighborhood groups on Facebook uh, and know the local crimes almost as fast as the police do. Um, and police are interconnected also, and they share a lot of information with each other. And we've learned a lot in the last 40 years. So now the smart criminals um, are running scams on the internet, and they don't even have to leave home. Mm -hmm. uh, the uh, only ones that carry guns across uh, and, and accost uh, people on the street or in their homes are those who are desperate with few resources. I mean, they don't have any other way to steal to support the drug habit or whatever it is. And uh, so to answer your question, he he... No, he, could, he couldn't be operating today, not like he did then. Gotcha, gotcha. What, what, what do you think was the most challenging part about this entire case? And, and, and for, for, the, for the record, what, what, what was the case called? It was the Silver, silver well, Burglar? We had several names for it, depending okay. on jurisdiction. Gotcha. But let me say that the police, the detectives, uh, we all came together voluntarily. This was never an official task force. We would meet once a week at one station, house or another, and trade information about what had happened that week and what we had learned. 
and we did that for well over a year on almost a lot of times on our own time um so i mean i wasn't a one-man army by any means there were uh, multiple detectives from multiple jurisdictions in the washington metropolitan area you know from from richmond virginia to arlington to uh dc mm-hmm. and, and and maryland but as a police detective answer your question as a police detective standard issue is you rely on criminals that get caught and want to make a deal and for their good information uh we would talk to the state's attorneys or the district attorney and uh see about getting their sentence reduced some so, you know instead of getting 10 years maybe they got five or seven or eight sure and as usual fingerprints or witnesses um, would give you uh, some information about who was doing crime and sometimes we would surveil um, the fences the guys buying hot stuff just to see who was going in to see if we recognized who went in as being one of our normal burglars and then we knew who to watch in fact I even went dumpster diving myself and others I guess um, uh, criminals often would use like a pillowcase from the house and I would jump in a dumpster behind a criminal I suspected and look for pillowcases being thrown away and if I could get them identified as coming from a particular house that had been burglarized I'd have an arrest warrant in hand to, you know, to uh, get them now none of that worked with Walsh um, he worked alone spoke to no one uh, he never used local fences to sell his goods he never left fingerprints he was never seen he walked through backyards he didn't go up front yards um, he would cut the phone wires just in case somebody did have an alarm system and it, and it couldn't report um, and he was like a ghost in fact I made that comment to mm-hmm. my co-author Jack Birch um, that Welsh was, was a ghost and he says perfect name for our book Ghost Burglar <laughs> That's so, awesome. And that's how it came about. Wow. Um, well, God, Mr. King. Um, uh, oh, and then I wanted to ask you, too. Um, so I guess without giving the the story away completely, the man is currently behind bars now. Is that is that correct? No, he died in um, 1997, I believe. Heart attack. Okay, what, and was that was that um, on death row or? Well, he he was he was uh, he went, had been given 147 years mm-hmm. um, in prison, and of course he got more for escaping. So um, he was in uh, Marion, Illinois. It's uh, a really tough prison, and uh, that's where he was when he died. Wow, Mr. King, what's uh? What what do you like to do in your in your free time now? Well, um, in the good weather, uh, <laughs> I take care of my house and garden a bit out back. Mm-hmm. And uh, mostly, though, I write uh, science fiction, paranormal, and ghost stories. Just because I grew up in the age of the golden age of science fiction and and uh, enjoy that genre. And uh, in fact, I've got three three science fiction books and several short stories that have been published. Um, and uh, I'm active in uh, several writers groups and I attend book conferences. 
and um, I'm on Facebook a lot. So that's pretty much me. Fantastic. And then uh, where where can um, the listeners um, pick up a copy of, of Ghost Burglar? Uh, basically, best place is Amazon. Okay. Just go to Amazon, write in Ghost Burglar, uh, James D. King as the author, and uh, my uh, co-author is Jack Birch, and B-U-R-C-H. And uh, they should have a copy available. F- fantastic, fantastic. Um, trying to think what else we, what else I wanted to ask you. Um, oh yes. Okay. So for any aspiring writers out there, um, what, what's, I, I, can you, can you give some aspiring writers, uh, you know, (laughs) including me some advice of where do you get started? How do you, how do you start? How do you, you know? Okay. memoir or true life um, or fiction and my best advice is you write about what you know okay and you just start anywhere and I can tell you most new writers start in the wrong place but that doesn't matter if you just start and start writing you can't edit anything if you don't write it first so you just that's what I did I just started writing and I tried doing children's stories and that didn't work out because I don't know uh, so just kind of like a stream of that didn't work and I ended up you know with the true crime thing and that worked so it just writing is like anything else it's a skill set and there's a learning curve but if you join a writer's group um, if you just start writing read and then as you read kind of examine what the writer did on something that you like look at what the writer did and how he started you know the the arc of the, of the story there's a beginning there's a middle and there's an end and it's like anything else you just don't write a great american novel in your first try right you've got to write and fail and write and fail and you learn from failure and everybody does and it takes a while, but you'll get there eventually if you if you really want to. Gotcha, Mister Kink. Thank you, thank you so much for for coming on the show and and uh, and, and talking to the uh, the Chris Dugay listeners. I, I I greatly appreciate you. Well, thank you very much for uh, contacting me, and uh, good luck to you and your program. Thank you kindly, sir. You uh, you have you have a wonderful evening. like what you just heard please go on apple podcasts right now and search the chris dugay show and rate and review it would mean so much to me and uh it'll help me grow the show as well as the fan base a special thanks to miramax films and uh all the cast and crew of she's all that um god bless you paul walker um thank you kindly for um not allowing me, but forgiving me uh, by using uh, this clip of She's All That in the, uh, in the podcast. P- 
please don't sue me. Also a big uh, thank you to Justin Moore um, for the song Bait A Hook. Um, love country music, love your shit. Uh, you're a great artist. And uh, please, for the love of God, don't sue me because I'm a broke ass bitch. Um, thank you. Thank you all so much for listening again. And uh, please go ahead and rate and review on Apple Podcasts. Um, you can also find this podcast on Spotify now as well. Also, a big thank you kindly to Luestra for uh, forgiving me for using the song uh, Scotty Doesn't Know. Great song. Um, also from a great movie as well. Um, can't wait to see you guys on tour if you guys are still doing that. Um, please don't sue me. And lastly, a big thank you kindly to Streety Baby and Controllerized Music Collective. Um, but I did buy that beat from you, buddy. So I totally get to use it. I love you so much, man. And finally, a little louder for the people in the back. No, 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 the kids all day, son.